You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. How you doing this morning? Great to be with you. Great to start the day off in worship. Yeah, welcome to all of you. I want to say a special welcome to our first-time guests, whether you're joining us here in person or if you're watching online. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. We're so glad you're with us. Come on, church. Would you help me welcome our first-time guests? Welcome to all of you. And to the rest of our church, the other half of our church that's already on vacation on the beach or by the pool, we miss you. Get a tan for the rest of us. (laughs) Well, I want to wish all of you a happy 4th of July weekend, however you're spending the day tomorrow with family, with friends, whatever you're up to. I hope you have a wonderful time, and I hope you'll take some time to just feel grateful, give some gratitude to God for the blessing of living in this nation and to enjoy uh, so many of the freedoms that we have. Amen. Hope you have a wonderful 4th of July. Come on, I want you to turn to two or three people. Wish somebody a happy 4th. Happy 4th. Come on, tell somebody, have a great day. Go shoot some fireworks. Have a picnic. Go to the beach. Happy 4th, everybody. All right, so last week we started a new series called Summer Break, Breaking Up with Bad Theology. We're going to have a little fun today, okay? So a little participation. You don't have to raise your hand here, but how many of you have ever had a summer fling before? You know, a short-lived summer romance. Don't worry, we're going to keep it PG. A short-lived summer romance. You know, maybe when you were a kid, you went to camp and you met some cute guy or girl and you stayed in touch. I know that happened to me growing up, going to church camp when I was a kid. See, when I went to the church camp when I, I was a kid, I didn't go just to meet Jesus. I, meant, I went to go meet some cute girl, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I remember like before the internet days, like actually meeting some girl, like being pen pals and like writing each other letters all summer. Or maybe when you were in college, you know, you were home for summer break and you met somebody, you know, and it was a summertime romance. Like you knew when you went back to college in the fall, it was not going to last. It was kind of like in Greece, you know, when Danny Zuko met, uh, met good old Sandy Olsen on the beach and summer loving happened so fast. Come on, any Greece fans in the house? All right. And they knew it was a summertime romance. It wasn't going to last. That's the thing about a summer fling, right? It's not built to last. And I think the same thing is true of our theology in some ways. The way we think about God. Some of us, are, our, our theology, it's okay, but it's not really built to last. And so we need to break up with some of our bad theology and move on to something better. Come on, are you ready to break up with your bad theology Let's break up with bad theology today. So each week what we're doing in this series is we're looking at different phrases that Christians often say, and they mean well, but they're they're phrases that are kind of half-truths that can lead to wrong ideas about God and how he wants us to think and live in this world. So for example, last week, Pastor Mark was here, and he kicked off this series with a great message, and he talked about this cliche, like, God won't give you more than you can handle. You've heard that before, right? But he kind of upgraded that and said, no, no, if we have better theology, we understand that instead, it's not that God won't give you more than you can handle, it's that God will help you with all that you've been given. Do you see it? And so that's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at these different phrases and we're, we're upgrading our theology. Today, I want us to look at a phrase that I know you've heard before. In fact, many of you have even said this before. It's, it's something really, a really powerful concept today. I want to talk to you about the phrase, everything happens for a reason. 
How many have heard that before? You don't have to raise your hand. How many have said that before? <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. You know, when, I think when people say this, they're, they're trying to be encouraging. You know, they're trying to comfort somebody when they get bad news. They're trying to encourage someone. And so it sounds really nice. sounds really Christian. Hey, man, keep your head up. You know, everything happens for a reason. And I think when, when we say this, often when we say this, we're trying to make meaning out of some painful experience, right? Like we're trying to wrap our finite brains around something that we can't fully understand. We can't see the good in it. And it's like we try to convince ourselves, if I could just believe that, that everything happens for a reason, like maybe this situation wouldn't be so painful. Now, this might be helpful in some cases. Like, for example, if you have a friend, you know, who was believing and praying for a new job and they didn't get that job, it might be true that you could say, well, everything happens for a reason. Like, maybe God has a better job, right? He closed that door. He could open another one. That, that could be true in that case. But what about somebody who's going through something tragic, I mean, what about, about someone who receives some really devastating news? Someone gets into a terrible accident or someone gets a, a really devastating diagnosis from their doctor or somebody loses someone. What do you say in those situations? I, I think about my own family. I have a, a brother-in-law and sister-in-law who a few years ago lost two full-term babies to a rare genetic disorder. I lost my father-in-law at 58 years old who died of a massive heart attack after shoveling snow in his driveway. And just last year, Amy lost her aunt in a freak accident. What do you say in those tragic situations? Everything happens for a reason? In the sense, it's like, well, what is the reason? Like, what could, good could possibly come from this? And so the question is, what is it that people really mean when they say everything happens for a reason? Like, what's really behind that. And I think especially when Christians say this, they mean well, but it's a way of saying that everything that happens is God's will. Everything that happens is, is God's will. Now, in theology, we have a term for this. It's actually the word determinism. Determinism, it's this idea that nothing happens without the determination of God. And I think that, that we, could, we bring this idea into our problems and it's this way of saying to ourselves, okay, if God has determined everything that happens in my life, every, every single thing, even the bad things, then there must be some good reason why this happened. And I, I can see where that might make some people feel good or feel better about the situation. Now, there are a lot of reasons this, this sounds biblical. Let me show you an example of a passage of scripture that sometimes those who argue for determinism, they would use to make this case, okay? This comes from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is about to send his disciples out to do ministry. Like he tells them, I want you to go and heal the sick. I want you to go and cast out evil spirits out of people. Like he's sending them out to do ministry. And then he prepares them and he says, hey, I want you to be prepared because you're going to face persecution. Like you're going to face opposition as you go out to do ministry. And so let's read this, Matthew 10, verses 28 through 31. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not even a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. 
So here's the point. Jesus says, you're going to face opposition, but you don't have to be afraid of people whose power is limited, right? Like they can't touch your soul. Like God sees everything. Like not even a sparrow dies without God seeing it. How much more is he going to be with you? But yet some people, they read a scripture like this and they focus on, on so much on, on the other part about the sparrows. Like, well, God even is involved in every sparrow dying. Like the idea is that some people read this passage to mean that nothing happens unless God determines it to happen. And I think to me, it's kind of an exercise in missing the point about what Jesus is talking about here. See, in this view of determinism, God becomes like the puppet master who's involved in every little thing that happens. He's, he's the God who's pulling the strings. So if I go to the mall and I don't get a good parking spot, he's the puppet master God who's controlling the parking spots. If I'm driving home and I get a flat tire, he, he, he's the God who's pulling the, the strings and caused me to get a flat tire. You know, if I drop my iPhone in the toilet, he's the God who's behind that. Don't drop your iPhone in the toilet. Come on. That, that's never happened to me, but it could happen. <laughs> It's this idea like God is behind every little thing. And if we follow the logic through, we can end up like eliminating the concept of personal responsibility for our own actions. If we follow this through, we, we can find ourselves saying, well, if I ran a red light, well, it was God's will for me to run that red light. Or if I cheat on my spouse, it was God's will for me to cheat on my spouse. And we know that's not true. In fact, I, as a pastor, you know, I sit down quite often with people who are going through difficult seasons of life, and, and sometimes I just start listening to their story, and I hear bad decision after bad decision, and then they kind of get to this place of like, Pastor, why do you think God's allowing me to go through all that I'm going through right now? And it's not that I'm trying to be judgmental, but I, I think to myself, well, we can't blame all of our bad decisions on God. Like, you, you, sometimes people have 20 years worth of bad decisions, and they want me to fix it in five minutes with one prayer, and I'm like, well, hold on for a second now, <laughs> you know? It's taking you 20 years to get here. And so, once again, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but here's the reality. Some of the pain, how many of you know that some of the pain we experience in life, it's often the consequence of bad decisions we've made. We've all been there before. In fact, many of you know one of my favorite memes. We're going to put it up on the screen. Um, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions. <laughs> I don't care what nobody says. That's funny. Because <laughs> we've all been there before. Can we just laugh at ourselves? We've all been the monkey hitting the lion with a stick before. <laughs> and so often with determination, some of y'all want to take a picture of that, put that back up. Often with determination, it allows us to blame God for everything instead of taking responsibility for our own decisions, for our own actions. And can you see how that can be dangerous? Can you see how if you follow that through, like, does God determine like every bad thing that happens in the world? Like, is God behind every murder? Every rape, every war crime? Can you see how, like, someone who's handed that view of God that could cause them to have a crisis of faith and maybe even to walk away from faith completely? I mean, come on, we're all living in this world with so much bad news and so much brokenness. Imagine, you know, someone being told, well, we'll take heart, be encouraged, because, you know, all of those things are God's will. He's in charge. Like, God is the one who's behind all the brokenness in, in this world? Well, if that's what God is like, I want nothing to do with him. Can you imagine Many people walking away from faith, walking away from, from church because they've been handed that view of God. And maybe that's some of you. You've been there before. And so let me just say this to you. For those of you who are walking through a difficult season right now, something painful, something tragic, maybe you're holding hands with a loved one, a friend who's walking through tragedy right now, or maybe you've been there before. We've, we, you live long enough on this planet. We've all had our seasons of painfulness. If that's you, I want to say I'm sorry. 
I want to say, I'm sorry, and I, I do not believe that God brought that tragedy into your life. I, I'm sorry if somebody gave you the theology that God was behind every bad thing and sent that into your life. No, I believe that when we weep, God weeps. When our heart is broken, God's heart is broken. The scripture says that God is close to the brokenhearted. That's who he is. He's the God of love. That's, that's what I believe. I don't believe he's, he's the God who authors every bad thing in, in your life. Now, some of you would say, well, Pastor me, if you're saying that, that God doesn't send every bad thing into our lives, are you saying that God has no control? No, 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 no. We've we got to have balance here. That's the opposite of determinism. That's called deism. Deism is this idea that God created the universe, you know, and kind of got it spinning, and then he left it to go on its own. It's the absentee landlord view of God who's uninvolved in the universe. And so we have to avoid two extremes here. One is this, this meticulous God who's involved in every little thing. He's the micromanager of the universe behind every little bad thing that happens to me, right down to me having a flat tire. And we also have to avoid the extreme that God isn't involved in the universe at all. Oh, no, no, God is sovereign. That's important. God is sovereign over the universe. He is in control. He is ultimately directing the history of the world toward his redemptive purposes. We need to hold on to those, these truths, okay? That, that God is, is sovereign. I, I don't believe he's, he's, he's the absentee landlord, but I also don't believe that he is the micromanager of the universe. So how do we explain why bad things happen? If God is the creator, if he is the sustainer, if, if he is sovereign over the affairs of the world and he's ultimately directing them toward his purposes, how do we explain why bad things happen? Well, in order to do that, we need to talk about another D word. It's the word dominion. Everybody say dominion. Now, the concept of dominion goes back to the creation story in Genesis. In the creation story in Genesis, we read that God created the heavens and the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars and the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, right? And, and he, he created order out of chaos. In fact, the Hebrew word is shalom. It's God's perfect peace, his wholeness. And, and he ordered creation and he had dominion over it and he called it good. How many of you remember that? Everything he created, he called it good. And then we get to the pinnacle of God's creation, which is humanity. The scripture tells us that, that human beings are made in the image of God. We're the only thing in all of creation that's stamped with the very image of God. And God creates human beings and he invites human beings to share in his dominion over creation. What does he say to Adam and Eve, right? He, he, he gives Adam and Eve dominion. I want you to, to, to steward this creation, to rule over it with me. In fact, I think the psalmist captures this idea in Psalm chapter 8. Look at this. Here's what the psalmist says. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. The psalmist tells us that God has shared his dominion with human beings. God has, has left us in charge of the planet. Come on, it's God's will that we would continue to bring good order, that we would maintain the good order that he set at the foundation of creation. It's a very powerful privilege. It's a very powerful mandate that we have. But in sharing dominion with us, God also took a risk, didn't he? He also took a risk in inviting human beings into this, this special relationship to share in dominion. In fact, God gave human beings the power of free will. 
We're the only thing in all of creation that has a free will. That's the part of us that's made in the image of God, and free will is powerful. And so the question is, what would human beings do with the power of free will? What will Adam and Eve do with this, this shared dominion? And how many of you know it doesn't take long for us to figure out the answer? By the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, humanity has already rebelled against God, already broken ranks with his will, already subverted his will, and chosen their will over his will. With that comes the curse of sin, and the, and the world is now in this broken condition. It is not as God created it to be. The shalom of the world, the perfect wholeness of the world has been broken. And so here we are thousands of years later, yet we face the same conundrum as Adam and Eve. We're given choices to either continue God's good work, to either continue God's good order in this planet, or to make choices that reflect our own selfishness that increase the brokenness of the world. This is the decision that you and I face every day. And we all know, if we're honest, we've all gotten it wrong. You don't have to be a person of faith or a follower of Jesus Christ today to just be really honest with yourself and admit that you've added to the brokenness of the world. I think we can all admit that we have made decisions at times that we're ashamed of. We've made selfish decisions, impulsive decisions. And and, and as we look back, we recognize that we have contributed to the brokenness of the world at different times in, in our lives. And don't we see this play out every day, right? Just put on the news. I mean, right now, these days, it's kind of good if you just turn the news off. But the reality is we're bombarded every day by stories of brokenness in our world, mass shootings and and theft and people taking advantage of each other. And we have friends and family who experience tragedies. And and all all the time, we're being bombarded of of stories of people doing terrible things to each other. A a dictator, a madman over in Russia who's who's perpetuating an unjust war on a peaceful neighbor, right? And, And so here's the idea. This leads us to a truth that we have to understand. And here it is, that not everything that happens on this planet is God's will. I know that may be hard for some of you to hear, but stick with me for a minute. Not everything that happens on this planet is according to God's will. People make choices every day that clearly go against God's good order and his will for this planet, his original intention for this planet. And this is why Jesus taught us to pray that your kingdom would come, right? He taught us to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus teach us to pray that? Because obviously, every day, God's will is not happening in many ways on this planet. People are sinning against God. People are doing things that go against God's will. And so Jesus taught us to pray that that the will of God would be implemented on, on, on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you know that none of the terrible things that are happening in our world are happening in heaven? He said, pray that, that God's kingdom would come. Why? That's because there are two rival kingdoms in this world, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And so this is why Jesus taught us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, because obviously in so many ways, the will of God is not happening on this planet. And so this means that not everything happens for a reason, as in according to God's will. Some things happen because of our sinful decisions. So much of the pain in the world can be explained by people's sinful decisions that cause terrible pain in other people's lives. Sometimes sinful systems that oppress people. Some things happen, uh, some things happen because the world is in a fallen condition. If we look for an explanation, we know that the world is not as God intended it to be. That's a really simple way of saying it. 
the world as we find it now, when we have questions of why, when we hear terrible stories that just hit us in the gut, why are things like this? We should cry out, because as you read the scriptures, we see people cry out all throughout the history of, of this relationship with God, because why? The world is not in a condition that God intended it to be. Death was never his will. Death was never his plan. That entered into the world through the curse of sin. Sometimes things happen that are just unexplicable tragedies, terrible accidents, random accidents. Come on, sometimes bad things happen for no good reason. Sometimes bad things happen for no good reason. What good can we find in a madman shooting down children in Uvalde, Texas? There, there, there's no good reason for that. I, I, I've been to seminary, seminary. I, I've read the theologians. I've wrestled with the great questions of, of theology. And I will just tell you there, I, I can find no good reason for something like that happening. But how many of you want some good news today? Come on, how many of you want some good news today? Here's the good news. God wasn't willing to leave the world in its broken condition. He decided to do something about it, so he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this planet to take on flesh and blood. Come on, to walk in our shoes. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus showed us how to live. He showed us a different way of living. He showed us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. and he went to the cross, and he took on the power of darkness. He said, go ahead and throw everything you've got at me. You can even kill me on this cross, but in three days, I'm coming back. I'm rising again. I'm going to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. He broke the power of darkness. And Jesus set into motion something that is happening right now, the redemption of the world, the healing of the world. And one day, the church has believed this for 2,000 years, one day he's coming back to finish what he began. And you and me, up until that time that he returns, we're invited into that story. Do you understand this? Sometimes we take salvation and we shrink it down to our little personal experience. Oh, you should have a personal faith, but you got to open the scriptures and recognize you're invited into a story that's bigger than you. It's a story of a God who is redeeming this broken world, this fallen planet. He's not willing to, to leave it as it is. God wasn't okay with the world filled with cancer and murder and miscarriage and cheating and theft and people taking advantage with each each other. No, no, no. God wasn't willing to leave it like that. He did something about it. And Jesus came down and he got into the mess of humanity. He got down into the brokenness of humanity and he has set into motion the redemption of this world. And so every time you serve, every time you love, every time you pray, Every time you speak words of healing, every time God uses you to be the solution to meet somebody's need, every time you share the good news of Jesus Christ, you are taking part in the healing of the world. God is somehow working through you. He's somehow working through you to bring about the healing of this planet. Do you see it? You're a part of a story that's so much bigger than yourself. God has, has set into motion the redemption of the world. And that's the hope that we hold on to. In the midst of this broken world with so many tragic news stories, in the midst of our own personal tragedies that we walk through in our family and friends and our, our circle of people that we love, that, that's the hope that we hold on to. Listen, I can't tell you why every bad thing happens. Sure, I can give you the theological reasons that the planet has fallen, people have a sinful nature, the world is not as God intended it, but then we can still ask the question, why would God allow it? 
And I, I don't know, one day when we get to heaven, we will understand these things that we don't understand now. But here's what I know. I'll hold on to the promise of the future. Fast forward to the end of the story. Come on, we know how the story ends. You get to Revelation chapter 21, and here's what it says. Revelation 21, verses 4 through 5, talking about, this is the words of Jesus. He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's the words of Jesus. I'm making everything new. The world is not always going to be like it is now. The world is not always going to be a place of brokenness where there's death and suffering and sickness. No, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus says, behold, I make everything new. And we have a present deposit of a future hope. That's how we live. We have a present deposit of a future hope. We know where the story is ultimately going. And this is why the Apostle Paul could say in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Why? Because God is a redemptive God. Not because God is sending every bad thing into our lives, but because God is able to redeem it. Come on, God is able to make something beautiful of the mess of our lives. God is able to take the good, the bad, the ugly, the hurtful things, the disappointing things. He's able to meet us in our pain. Listen to me. Nothing is wasted with God. God recycles. He's able to take your adversity and recycle it into a ministry. He's able to meet you at the point of your pain, your disappointment, your hurt, because he's a redemptive God. Now, does that mean that every bad thing that's happened in your life, you're going to understand how it's good, or he's going to make it all perfectly good in, in your lifetime. No, that scripture is actually, it's ultimately about how you're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what that scripture is really about, if you go read the whole chapter. And so God works all things together for our good because he's working out his redemptive purpose in your life to make you like Jesus. And aren't you thankful that he doesn't just use the good things? Aren't you thankful that he doesn't just use the answered prayers, the breakthroughs? Because I don't know about you, but I live in the real world where sometimes everything doesn't go down according to my prayers. Sometimes God doesn't do everything according to my timetable. Every now and then I pray for somebody who's sick, who doesn't get healed. Anybody else live in the real world like me? I'm so thankful that God even takes the brokenness. God even takes the disappointments. God even takes the things that I don't understand, and he works it all together for my good to make me more like Jesus because he is a redemptive God. That's who he is. And so here's the truth we're going to land on today. Everything doesn't happen for a reason but God can redeem everything that happens for his purpose. Next time you hear that, I hope you'll always remember that. Everything doesn't happen for a reason, but God can redeem everything that happens for his purpose. And that is what he is ultimately doing, working out his redemptive purpose for this world. He's in charge. He's sovereign. Even when we don't understand, even when we don't understand, we know how this story ends. I want to share a story with you guys, a really powerful story that I revisit every now and then. And it's a story of a missionary couple named David and Zvia Flood. They were Swedish missionaries uh, who left to go to Africa in 1921. In fact, a couple years ago when I was in Stockholm, Sweden, doing some ministry, I got to visit the church that they were sent out of in Stockholm. And uh, this couple, they went to the Belgian Congo at the time. It was known as the Belgian Congo back in 19. 19- 
21 because they felt the call of God to go reach people in this remote part of Africa who had never heard the gospel before. And so they got there and they linked up with another missionary couple named the Ericsons who were also from Scandinavia. And they decided to go reach this remote village where they had never heard the gospel before. And well, it didn't go very well. <laughs> to sum it up, it didn't go very well. In, in two years, they had very little to show for their efforts. The, the local chief of the village there wouldn't give them access to the village. There was a lot of opposition there. It was really hard. And as you can imagine, they lived in these rugged, remote conditions. Eventually, the Ericsons decided to leave and move back to the, to the missionary base, and they left David and Zvia Flood out there by themselves to continue on in the work. And the only person that they saw one to Jesus Christ in all those two years was a little boy this little boy that the village chief would allow to come and bring eggs and chicken to, to them, to sell them eggs. And Zvia loved on this boy. And after a few weeks, she led him to Jesus Christ. They went through a lot of adversity. They had many bouts of malaria. And eventually, Zvia found herself pregnant. Can you imagine having a baby out in this remote part of Africa? In fact, the village chief, in a moment of mercy, sent a, a midwife to go and help them deliver this baby girl that they had, a little baby girl that they named Ana. But Zvia was really weakened from having malaria and it was very sick and her husband prayed desperately for her life. But after 17 days, she died. And her husband buried her in a crude grave in the ground in the jungle there in Africa. And he was a broken man. Something snapped in him. Something snapped in him. Can you imagine like after two years, he's like, God, you sent me here. Poor two years of my life. I moved my family here and, and, and we have nothing to show for it. My wife dies and I'm leaving my wife in this grave. And he gave his little girl to the Ericsons and they eventually died. And she ended up with this American missionary couple who took little Anna back to America and changed her name to Aggie. And she grew up in America. Aggie eventually went to Bible college she married a pastor. They became pastors, had a very fruitful ministry for years, and her husband eventually became the president of, of a Bible college. Well, years later, about 40 years later, in 1963, out of nowhere, Aggie received a Swedish, Swedish religious magazine, and it was all about the Congo. In fact, it was all about the very village where her parents had ministered, and she saw a picture of her mother's grave with the names Via Flood, the crude grave that her father had dug. And the article was a testimony that over 600 people had become followers of Jesus Christ in that village. And she recognized that her mom and dad's ministry was not a waste. Now, years later, she was in a, a missions conference where people were giving reports of what God was doing all over the world. And there was a man from the Congo, at that time it was the nation of Zaire, he was a leader of a Pentecostal denomination that represented over 100,000 people in that nation. And he gave a testimony about what God was doing in that part of Africa, how the kingdom was advancing. And of course, Aggie wanted to meet him, right? To find out if he knew her parents. And so after he spoke, she, she met him and she introduced herself. She told him who she was. She said, hey, I'm, I'm David and Zvia Flood's daughter. Did you know my parents? And through an interpreter in French, because he spoke French, he began to weep. And he said, I knew your parents. I knew your mother. I was the little boy that your mother led to Christ. And I went back and, and shared Jesus with my village and I eventually built a school and I led all of the children of the village to Jesus. I even led the chief himself, the chief who opposed your parents, became a Christian. And now there are over 600 believers in this village and, and the gospel is thriving in Africa. And you've got to come back to this day. Your mother's memory is revered. Her memory is revered. She's the most famous person in our whole village. And she indeed got to go back and visit her mother's grave. But she also got to go see her father 
in Sweden before he died. She found her dad a broken man who had wasted most of his life. He had drank his bitterness away. And she got to share with him, Dad, that time that you spent in Africa wasn't a waste. See, Dad, today there's over 600 believers in, in that village. She was reunited with her father, and he restored his faith in Jesus before he died. Now, why do I tell you that today? Here's why. We can't explain why every bad thing happens in our lives, but we trust that God is a redemptive God. Come on, God is a redemptive God, even when we don't understand why. It would be 40 years before Aggie would even begin to understand anything about her story, but God is a redemptive God. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. Some bad things happen for no good reason, but here's what I know. God is good, and he's able to work all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He's a redemptive God. And so today... If you're going through something, if you're walking through a season of pain, a season of disappointment, a why God moment, somebody you love, somebody in your sphere, your family, your friends is going through something tragic. Maybe you've been through something tragic. I know I have. Our family has. Here's what I know when we ask why. I know that the answer can't be that God doesn't love us. The answer can't be that God doesn't love us. Look at me. Now, we believe God. We believe God loves us. I believe God loves you. I believe he sees you. And why is that? Because when we wonder where God is, if you ever have moments where you wonder, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why would you allow us to go through this? Why would you allow me to go through this, God? Why would you allow another tragic thing like this to happen in our world? When we wonder what God is like, we look no further than the cross, and we see Jesus Christ on that cross. And there's the answer. That's where God is. He's not the God who stayed up in heaven, aloof, disconnected from what's happening here. No, no. He's the God who came in the very person of Jesus Christ, who took on flesh and blood and got down into the mess and brokenness of our sinful planet do something about it, to break the power of darkness. And he has set into motion the redemption of this world, the healing of our planet. So God loves you. God is, God is for you. And so we can comfort each other with that hope. Amen? Come on, the scripture says he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our sorrows so that we can comfort others. Let me help you. Next time somebody's going through something tragic and you don't know what to say, you don't have to say something like everything happens for a reason. You know what you can do? You can be like Jesus and just enter into that person's pain. Just sit with it. Just love them. Sometimes we just mourn with those who mourn. We just weep with those who weep. It's just our presence that's there that's comforting to them, just like the presence of God. Come on, he wants you to be Jesus to that person. Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a famous book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. He said, people need consolation, not explanation. And so if there's somebody in your life right now who's walking through something tragic, you don't have to explain everything away. We trust that God is a redemptive God. He's able to redeem what we don't even understand. He's able to redeem things in life that, we, that will never make sense to us. And so we can just sit with that person. We can hold their hand. We rejoice with those who rejoice, but sometimes we weep with those who weep. But we trust ultimately that God is working out his purposes and he's able to redeem our pain. Amen? Come on, why don't you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to receive communion. But let's just take a moment to pray into this today. Come on, to trust in our good God. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know your story. But here's what I know. God loves you. He's for you. 
He sees you. He's with you. The scripture says he's close to the brokenhearted. He's close to us in times of hurt, in times of pain. When our heart breaks, his heart breaks. He meets us at the point of pain. He enters into it with us. He's God with us. Jesus took on flesh and blood. And so God, we we turn to you today. We lift our eyes to you today. We lift our hearts to you today. God, trusting that you are a good God. And in our why God moments, Lord, when we don't understand what you're doing or why you would allow us to walk through what we're walking through, God, as we sang before, in every circumstance, we choose to hold on to you, to trust in your goodness, to trust in your love because you gave yourself for us. Because God, you weren't willing to leave the planet in this broken condition. You weren't willing to leave us in our broken condition, but Jesus, you came down and got into the mess of humanity to redeem us, to save us, to heal our broken hearts, our broken lives. God, help us to believe that today. Help us to believe that today, that God, you are the God who will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's not going to be any more sickness, no more pain, no more world with losing people we love and experiencing tragedy, but God, it's not always going to be that way. And we have a present deposit of a future hope. Father, I pray that you would use us to comfort those who are going through brokenness because you are the God of all comfort, a redemptive God, and we can trust in you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.